Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to You Don't Know Me, a podcast about people you don't know. I'm your host, Veeps, and today we have a brand new guest. I'm McLovin. <laughs> McLovin is in the house today. Yes. Um, and he, how he actually ended up on the show is a really interesting story. Do you want to tell a little bit about how you found YDKM and what brought you here? Uh, Well, I was swiping, which is how I normally <laughs> end my n- nights on Tinder. And I saw the podcast and I saw you were actually friends with... A former roommate of mine who was only a roommate for a month and but then I saw you were also a podcast which I love listening mm-hmm. to podcasts so I was like oh this is really cool and I saw you could sub- you could submit a story so I decided to send one in and now here we are <laughs> yeah he actually went to the website and to our share a story tab and wrote his own story and submitted it that way and it is unbelievable I read it and I was really moved by it it was it was kind of wistful and you know there was this feeling there that i totally understand of like you know opportunities missed and things like that turns out he lives locally because he found us through tinder and we decided to go ahead and bring him in but um kind of a fun way that's a brand new way that we found a guest um we do have a tinder ydkm profile so we've Mm -hmm. had a couple of people there through you know we want to increase tinder file episodes since those are so popular and we've gotten a lot of really awesome people through that if you guys remember z and if you guys remember um a couple of the other guests that we've had that have been related to tinder a lot of them are from that so welcome mclovin thank you glad to be here <laughs> so let's start off where are you from and where do your parents live uh like was born and raised in michigan and my mom lives in beverly hills michigan oh, which is that's a place yeah it is a place and uh there's really nothing to do there because it's just kind of like a suburban mm-hmm. development area just lots of families and and that's yeah. about it Super suburbs. Mm-hmm. You said it kind of reminds you of Alpharetta. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's well, because really there, there's a city right by there called Birmingham, which yeah. is very hoity-toity, nice restaurants. Like, could they not come up with their own city names? <laughs> I guess not. I I really don't. I don't know what it is. We just copy every other state. And <laughs> Birmingham. <laughs> I think the only original thing we really have is Detroit. Fair enough. Yeah, that is true. That is very original. So you grew up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a a pretty, well, until I was seven, I grew up in a very wealthy family. Mm-hmm. My father was a lawyer. He ran his own law firm. Mm-hmm. and But he kind of got into a money scheme. And he got Uh-oh. a lot, he lost a lot of money in this. Basically, he was told that if he invested a lot of money, he was going to get tenfolds back and was thinking so like he was going to become a Ponzi scheme yeah. or and so what it actually it's kind of interesting what it was is um when the Nazis took a lot of the valuables from Jews they put them in these Swiss banks mm-hmm. and so the idea was they were going to try and get them back to the families yeah and there was going to be like billions of dollars involved in it and my dad thought he was going to be a multi-millionaire after the deal went through he always called it the deal the deal was a huge thing in my family for a few years and he we moved out in 1997, and it was it was really wild because my mom took my sisters. I have three older sisters yeah. and a younger brother. She took my sisters to school first, came back, picked us up, and on the way to school, we stopped and we. My mom walked us through this house, and she and after walking through, she asked us what we thought, and we were like, "Oh yeah, it's pretty cool." And she's like, "This is where we're living from now on." She took us to school and got picked up by my best friend at the time's parents and took us back and that was it just everything changed in one day whoa yeah that's a lot i remember the conversation that we had when my parents decided to get a divorce um but it didn't come out of nowhere like my mom originally had a conversation with me and told me that she was going to try and wait until my brother was 18 Mm -hmm. my youngest brother he was only three at the time she was like i you know i don't want to like you know leave your father like when he's still a child like i want to wait until he's older um and then like the next week she came back and was like actually we're getting a divorce wow (laughs) so that's never a fun conversation i know um but geez that's crazy was it because of the yeah well it was it was my parents were just not meant for each other they were just too different my dad was um 
very just strong-minded and strong-willed about what he wanted and they both had different ideas of what that was Mm -hmm. and it it just wasn't working out oh man that's rough do you still are you still close with your dad or i'm close with both of them so um it's actually if despite all the crazy things that have happened in my family since that all happened i still have a really good relationship with everyone in my family except for like extended family but yeah i'm really happy to be able to say that i can have a good relationship because there was some really rough points yeah um, up until now no i believe that i mean i think anytime that parents get a divorce it's like that kind of weird place to to navigate you know it's hard um well and especially with them because they were so different there was a huge power struggle as to who yes. who you listen to what yes. values you were gonna grow you up have to with pick a side. And, yeah. yeah that mm-hmm. well I and mean, it felt like that for a really long time it was just like well who who am i gonna pick today yeah and it still feels like that with mine mm-hmm. when we, so. actually, we actually had my sister's wedding it was my first sibling to get mm-hmm. married and it was the first time my whole family my siblings and my parents had all been together in nine years oh yeah that'll be a interesting occasion if that happens in my family so mm-hmm. i say if i have no idea if any of us are capable of that <laughs> well luckily i i thought it, it could have been world war three just because that's how it's been mm-hmm. before but my, my mom walked up to my dad, gave him like a side hug and stuff. It was just, it was a really special weekend. Mm. Yeah, that's rough. I think also it's it's kind of interesting because I'm a lot more patient with that type of drama with people now that I've like gone through breakups and now that I've like experienced kind of heartbreak and mm-hmm. like really crushing kind of heartbreak. And so I get how that could be so emotionally charged if you like built a life with somebody and then it's like ripped away from you, you know? Yeah. Um, but so many of our parents just, like, didn't handle it well, you know? Oh, no, they didn't. It's that gen- whole generation. I feel like divorce was still, like, fresh and, like, it's this thing that they're just not used to, like, navigating because it was still taboo even when our parents did it, right? Like, yeah. to a certain degree. Oh, yeah. Well, so. I, I mean, if you look back at the time that they grew up in, divorce was, like, the least likely thing that was going to happen, especially because people were so active with church and the churches were yeah. very hard about not getting divorced and sticking together mm-hmm. as a family. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I agree. Anyway, so Michigan, um, yes. tell me a little bit about, I know that you you did some traveling before you left, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. So, what kind of took you on that journey? Well, I met my friend, um, Nico, and I met him through a co-worker who moved to a different job and ended up working with him and he had house parties and that's where I met Nico and we just started hanging out it was just it's just, you can know when you meet someone and you just kind of get them oh yeah from totally. the beginning and that's that's what it was like with us just yeah. right from the very beginning but he went to Boston for about a year came back with a friend from Boston and they were talking about hitchhiking across the country and Ooh, that's cool yeah and I was a huge fan of the movie into the wild mm, and i always mm. thought that man that would be really cool to do something like that so one day i just met them in a starbucks and they were talking about that and i was just like if you guys are cool with it i'm totally in and <laughs> i really want to go with you and yeah. so we we ended up doing it there's four of us total how old were you at the time 21 okay yeah good and, age <laughs> mm-hmm. and i and i had a job but i was just it was just one of those once in a lifetime opportunities where you yes. just like, I had no car payment. I didn't have any, I didn't live bills alone or really, anything. Yeah. There was no bills I had to worry about. So I yeah. just, I had no assets that like I was leaving behind and just letting go. It was mm-hmm. just, I could just completely go off and come back with no issues at all. So we ended up taking a bus to Chicago, hung mm-hmm. out there for a week and took another bus to um, Omaha. And we, so we met up with Nico's cousin and they drove us 30 miles west mm-hmm. after a couple of days. And we just started walking in the middle of Nebraska on a country road, cornfields everywhere, 50-pound backpacks on our back. Whoa. And with tents, and we had our laptops, and Nico had a guitar that he was carrying, and mm-hmm. we just started walking. Yeah. How long did the trip last? Three months. Three months? Yeah. Holy crap. Three months. This is huge. It was, it was a really big thing. Yeah. It was a really big thing to do. And there's there was a lot of struggles. There was days where we were walking on the highway. It was 125 degrees with humidity. We had these massive backpacks on us. And uh, at one point, I had a heat stroke during it. And um, it was just 
I think about it and we were just really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) We were really stupid, but we had good intentions of doing it. We wanted to, we wanted to show people that you can do these types of traveling in America and there's going to be people that are willing to help you. So we had plenty of people that were willing to give us rides to the next gas station or to the next small town that we ended up in. There was one lady who drove us five hours through Nebraska to get us to Colorado. No way. All four of us, we put all of our backpacks in the trunk and she just drove us. That's so nice. It was really cool. So what, like, what was the motivation? Did she ever explain like why she chose to do that? Because like, for a woman to pick up a bunch of like young guys, like, yeah, I, you know, with the way that the fear mongering in the media is like, oh, that's really like taboo, right? You know, I think, you know, back in t- this was 2011, that mm-hmm. wasn't really such a big thing. I think that's something that's come up more recently in the last couple yeah, of that's years, fair. The, yeah. the, the fear behind mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and it was, but it, it was an older lady and she was in town visiting family and she Got just it. figured, why not? I'm, I'm just going home and they can come with me. Yeah, fair enough. That's really cool. Um, so I'm sure that you have some other stories here. Are there any highlights from the trip that you like that really stick out in your mind of like, shit, this happened to me or I did this thing? We so we lost two along the way. We lost um, one of one of us had to leave after a month because because of his job. They only gave yeah. him a month off. So he flew back while we were in Colorado. And then another one was letting a friend use his apartment and he was sending him money to like pay rent for it. But the guy wasn't paying the rent. And so he got a call from... What? Yeah. He got a call from the company and they're like, your rent hasn't been paid. And he was just like, what are you talking about? And he flew immediately from Utah to go back there. And so Nico and I, we were the last two on the trip and we got to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And the first three nights we slept on the streets. Oh my God. In San Francisco In too. San Francisco. There's such a big homeless problem there. Oh like, yeah. There's this shit. guy... Um, we met from Hawaii mm-hmm. who started hanging out with us. We were playing guitar with him and and it, he he seemed like a pretty cool dude and he was like, oh yeah, I know this place where we can go and like, you know, we you can sleep there and that kind of thing. And, and we were 21 and stupid, so we trusted him and, mm-hmm. and uh, nothing happened, nothing bad. But at four in the morning in San Francisco, down this random alley where we ended up only sleeping for like four hours, we w- he was sitting in between us. Mm-hmm. And he pulled out some heroin and he just shot up right in front of us. And I remember looking at my friend and going, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, there's <laughs> a really big Where we problem. ended up, yeah. I and just just recently went to San Francisco for the first time and we stayed in like the Tenderloin, which is like the worst spot for that. Yeah. My friend has an apartment there because it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. So he was like, fuck it, I'll live on the edge of the Tenderloin. He lives like right on the border of like the nice part and like the not so nice. But- okay. We walked the wrong direction a couple days because <laughs> we didn't know the area. Right. Ooh. Oh my gosh. There's shit got real real fast. Yeah. There's some pretty rough areas there. Mm-hmm. Um. So we, he had a cell phone somehow. I don't know how, but he had a cell phone and he like he got our number and he kept calling us, but we were just like, no, we don't need to keep hanging out with that person. <laughs> oh my. Oh no. Oh no. But there was one really cool thing that happened, which is uh, I lost him at one point. He just he went into this random building, but. I was kind of looking around and there was this girl there who was like, oh, what are you what are you doing? Like, you've got this huge backpack on you and told her what we were up to. And she invited us to, like, come stay at her apartment that night. Oh, that's so nice. And like we got a shower. And so we got a free shower. And it was it was really cool. Uh, there was a lot of really. Did you not know about couch surfing at the time? We did. But it was really hard to to find people that were like, because I think it there was like somewhat of a payment system. And our whole thing was like, no. uh I don't Couch know. surfing, the whole point of it is is no no payment. Hmm. You just have to I don't rate know how people. it didn't work. Like you rate people based on like your experience with them. And... That might have been what it was. Is we had no ratings, and so maybe it was uh, like oh yeah, oh, well, yeah. they so haven't maybe, stayed yeah. with anyone yet. So mm-hmm. yeah, I did it when I was traveling through Asia, and mm-hmm. um, where else did I do it? Mostly in Asia, though. Like, cause that, that's where I did a lot of the like backpacking kind of thing. That's cool. Um, See, never... I did meet some people. I never stayed with them, but I met one of my really good friends through it, through like mm-hmm. a group that they had on couch surfing. Um, I was a vegan at the time and there was like a vegans in Stockholm group and that's he was really Irish cool. and he was living in Stockholm and he, and we became really good friends and we were actually doing similar work at the time. So we like ended up like really like he's awesome he's like living in germany now he's about to get married and like we still keep in touch it's crazy who you meet when you're doing this stuff Mm -hmm. so you said that you met some like incredible people along this way right yeah absolutely there was um 
there were some people we met on the second trip. We we ended up taking a van mm-hmm. instead of hitchhiking, yeah. which was great because we could go to these small towns that we fell in love with and, and spend like a week there. And then so just you did it like a second time. You went home and then like you left again. So I went home. I went to uh, film school. Mm. And after I completed film school, it was like it was like r- immediately after mm-hmm. I took a train out to Colorado. They picked me up in the van and then we just we just kept going. And yeah. um, the idea was is I would go with them and then we would get back in time for me to make graduation, which was that October. So I left in August. That was a shorter trip, but it was yeah. because we had more of a timeline of what we were trying to accomplish. Um, and you also have your own car. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we met some people in Colorado who were going to start a farm, like kind of a self-supporting farm where everybody mm-hmm. would work and like help. A commune. Su- yeah, it, that's exactly what it was. They were yeah. starting a commune. And um, I don't know if you remember, this was 2013. There was a massive flood that happened in Colorado. Oh, yeah. And we left the town the day that it started raining. And so the following day it flooded. And um, we, I remember I... I was up in the mountains and I had no cell phone service. And so the next yeah. day I woke up and turned on my phone. I walked out. I had like 40 text messages, 15 voicemails, all from my family. Like, are you okay? There's these huge floods going on in Colorado. And, yeah. and it, we ended up actually, we met this girl, Gertrude, and yeah. um, we met up with her in Portland. And we found out that the land that they were purchasing just got completely destroyed mm-hmm. by the floods. And so the whole commune thing kind of just died yeah unfortunately that sucks that's like a super bummer of a story yeah but she she was really cool um she she was an artist guitar player that kind of thing and she she kind of just travels everywhere so like sometimes i'll on facebook i'll see she's in new orleans or goes Mm -hmm. back to portland and hangs out in colorado and so she travels a lot so she's still got a lot going on Mm -hmm. yeah awesome so any other people that like really stick up stick out in your mind that you met on the hitchhiking trip, we met Tim, and he was this really old army veteran, the sweetest man, I've, one of the sweetest men I've ever met in yeah. my life. And he let us camp out in his front yard. He made us, he gave us uh, some angel food cake, and we played pool in his garage, and the <laughs> next morning he... He uh, he made us pancakes and coffee and all this stuff. Took us to the next town over. Yeah, and then uh, we were in this town called Sutton in Nebraska, and he came and like went to church with us and just like just constantly checking in. And he was just he was just this really really nice guy who yeah you could tell he wanted to just talk to people and we, and oh, we yeah. were really happy to hang out with him and, and I spend found some that time a with lot him. like when I was traveling or, you know, I, I actually rented a room in Sweden when I first got there from like an elderly woman. And like, Mm -hmm. she just loved to like sit there and talk, you know, it was like, she, it's, it's just part of it is the companionship. Like their kids move on, they grew up, they have their own lives, you know, Mm -hmm. her kids, like her daughter that she was really close with was traveling. She was in Thailand most of the time. So like, you know, being there is like being that person that they talk to all the time is just like incredible. Cause you hear some incredible stories. Mm -hmm. Like, I learned so much about the relationship with Finland and like Finnish people because she was actually Finnish. She refused to speak her language growing up because Finns were treated so badly in Sweden. Right. Um, like shit like that. Like I would never know, you know, and she lived in this like crazy old building. It was the most beautiful apartment. And downstairs it was built in World War II and like there were bomb shelters in the basement that they used to store bicycles. But they had like the huge doors that you have to like turn the wheel to open them up because they were old school bomb shelters, like legitimate bomb shelters. Right. Because it was so much of that in Europe, like it was a really big deal there, you know. Mm -hmm. So we would go down there to like do this stuff. She would help out with like the landlord and like she'd been there so long. Wouldn't that be awesome to just like have that as your front door? <laughs> and just people come up and you got a bomb shelter door just that you have to open up and all right, now you're I imagine in. it would be kind of a pain in the ass though. Probably, but it would still be really cool to have. <laughs> but yeah, and she had like the old school like original windows that like creaked when they opened and you like turn them, you know, just like super beautiful like Scandinavian apartment. And I just, it was amazing. That's you really know. cool. But you, you would never meet people like that unless no, you like... unless you just get out there, which mm-hmm. I feel like some people are so scared to do. But if you just pick up and run, like, you're Somebody's going to find, find it's you. going to work out. Yeah. Like, we had no idea that 
any of this stuff was going to work out. We just took a chance and we said, all right, we'll see what happens. And it turned out really well. And don't get me wrong. There are always situations that can go bad and yeah. can go south. So you have to have your head about you when mm-hmm. you're doing this stuff. But, you know, be discerning. But, oh, you know. In our minds, being prepared was having pellet guns. <laughs> it was really dumb, but that you was something we had. Cause, yeah, we had a pellet gun. And I, I have this really awful picture of me where I have like long johns on, I'm shirtless, and I'm holding what looks like a Colt 357. And mm-hmm. like, I've got this look like I'm a. I'm a serial killer and it, cause it's just like dead face. Just, I look like a total redneck. It's, but it's also a hilarious picture if you know who I am. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't know who I was and you saw that picture, you'd be like, that guy is fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the jury's still out. It yeah. might actually be the case. So it could be. Know. Who knows? So how did you end up from Michigan and hitchhiking and all of this stuff? How did you end up in Atlanta? So I was working in the film industry mm-hmm. and I ended up as a camera PA on a film called Eloise, which has not come out yet. And, <gasps> but, and we, and we worked, Like the books, though? No. No. Eloise Damn. is a mental asylum in Michigan that oh. is more so... It's still somewhat active today, but back in the day, it was like a really huge, huge mental treatment center. Mm. And they, it was so big, the, the property, that it had its own zip code. What? Yeah. It was basically its own community. It had its own fire department and all this stuff. Yeah. And so it was it was like a horror film that they were making about kids breaking into Eloise and that kind yeah. of thing. It, it hasn't come out yet, which I hope it does because I want to see what I work, what I spent five weeks working mm-hmm. on. Um, but I met this guy who was the, the head first AC of camera department. And he was telling me about how he worked on Vampire Diaries here in Atlanta. Yeah. And he was, That's huge. He was saying, if you want to get work... I'm telling you, because of the film incentives down in Georgia compared to what they have in Michigan, that's where all the work is going to be going. Yeah. It's going to go to Atlanta. So if you want to work on films or even big TV shows, that's where you want to be. So it turns out my friend Jason, who I knew from high school, Mm -hmm. he was my best friend in high school. I knew that he lived in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And so I hit him up and I said, hey, I'm thinking of moving down to Atlanta to work in the film industry, and I know you're down there, and at one point I saw you said you were looking for a roommate. Are you still looking for a roommate? And he was. Even (laughs) though it had been months since he posted about needing a roommate, he was still looking for a roommate. And so once, once we finished filming on that show, I went down there with like half of my stuff, Mm -hmm. thinking, all right, if things are cool, I'm just going to drop them off, go back up, hang out in Michigan for three weeks, get all my stuff ready. And they'll come down. Yeah. And so I get down there and things are great and I leave my stuff and I go back up. I have a going away party and all that stuff. And now I'm in Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I ended up here. Oh, cool. So you had a mutual friend or a friend that you knew from before from Michigan Mm -hmm. who just happened to be living here and then you came down here. Yeah, just happened to be living here. So how did the film industry work turn out for you? It didn't. What? (laughs) It didn't turn out. Um, The problem was is... I didn't have a lot of savings when I moved down here. Got it. So when I got down here, I needed a job immediately. Like, immediately, like yeah. as soon as possible. Within two weeks, I got a job. Mm-hmm. And my first idea was to go to camera rental stores or and go work there. I'd meet people there. Mm-hmm. And that way I could get connected. i start getting film work. None of the places were hiring. <laughs> Not a single camera rental, rental yeah. shop was hiring. And uh, so I... What do you specialize in? Well, right now I'm working as a criminal background check processor. So, <laughs> okay, that's def- definitely not film. Not similar at all. But what not- kind of work in film are you looking for? Camera. I okay. wanted to do camera stuff. Um, I'd been passionate about working with cameras ever since I was 16, and I took a black and white photography class in high school. Loved that. I did the same thing. And I actually went to college so for it and fun. then switched my major. But, you know, I did like all of high school as a concentration and mm-hmm. then college as well. So I didn't really concentrate on it so much until I took a digital photography class in community college. Mm-hmm. Right, And it was right before I went to film school, which was great because there's so many similarities with photography and cinematography, mm-hmm. but there's very minute differences that change like the way you look at cinematography compared to what you want to do for photography. Mm-hmm. Do you do any like work on your own with it or sometimes um, it really just depends. 
because I've got I've got uh, my Canon 70 uh-huh. with some with some really nice Zeiss lenses that I like to photograph with. Yeah. But with film stuff, it's it's complicated because you really need to know people who know certain areas like lighting or sound or mm-hmm. then you got to find people that are willing to be in front of the camera as well. Yeah. And so it's a huge collaborative process that can be really complicated. And in Michigan, I had those kinds of people that I could just go to and be like, hey, I want to work on this thing. Do you want to work together okay. on it? And are you still like interested in getting back into film or somewhat right now? Uh, what I was going to do before mm-hmm. film was go into accounting so I'm looking at going back into accounting and studying mm-hmm. at Kennesaw mm-hmm. and then maybe getting back into it. I kind of I'm at this point where it's it's like I'm I don't know if it's going to work out just because I don't have the savings to just mm-hmm. completely drop a job and go full steam right into trying to find work. So but if accounting, that's a great industry to be in. I mean, it's not like that's going to go anywhere. It's the safest job you can yeah. get because everybody's always going to need an accountant yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, okay, so films, film didn't quite work out for you, but you I, ended up as a criminal background investigator, right? Yeah, that's what I do. And I actually do criminal background checks in Georgia. So mm. I get to see people in Georgia, and, and I haven't seen anyone that I've met before yet yeah. on there, and I don't really expect to. But it's interesting to see. Do you work for, like, a, a parent company that, like... How does that work? I I actually know nothing about that industry, and I'm kind of curious. So there's credit reporting agencies, and Mm -hmm. that's who businesses will go to because Mm -hmm. they're authorized to gather that kind of information as long as you fill out the proper paperwork. Like, I'm sure you filled out paperwork to have the background checked on you, right? Yes. So that goes to the credit reporting agency, and the credit reporting agency contacts us, and we're we're data providers. Mm -hmm. So we gather the data that the credit reporting agency wants. And we have a certain set of guidelines that they set for us. Mm -hmm. And then after we send it off to them, they determine, based on what we've provided for them, what's reportable and what's not reportable. And so we could could gather like everything, like speeding tickets or anything you can think of, but that doesn't necessarily mean that when we send it to the credit agency that they're going to send it to the business you're applying to. Because they've got guidelines that they have to follow based on the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Yes. Yeah, no, I know it's really complicated because I'm a recruiter. So we do a lot of background checks and okay. things like that. And it's just like a sticky process to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, and before, like now I'm, I'm completely hands off with that process. But before we used to have to like coach people through onboarding and, right. you know, and it was just like, like, I'm not allowed to say anything. Even I, I wasn't allowed to have any information whatsoever, you know? So it's a really touchy, like, situation. It um, really is. So All it's right. like, hey, you should do this thing, but I don't really understand it. <laughs> like, right. Just check your email, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of one of those. Um, so when you moved here to Atlanta, I'm assuming mm-hmm. other than Jason, you didn't know a ton of people. So you said that you got onto Tinder and that's how you met people, right? Yes, I have So had... getting down to the core of this... <laughs> Yeah, I've had Tinder for on and off easily three and a half years. Mm-hmm. I remember my brother told me about it and he was just like, dude, have you heard of Tinder? <laughs> and I was like, no. And he's like, oh my God, you have to get this. It's incredible. There's just, it's like w- just window shopping for dating. And so, <laughs> and so I downloaded it when I was in Michigan and um, that was probably six months before I did the van trip. So mm-hmm. that was 2013. And so I kind of was on and off with it. And coming down to Atlanta, I figured, well, what better way to meet people than to just get on Tinder? Yeah. I, the only person I know down here is Jason. Mm-hmm. And I did yeah, the I same meet, thing. Like, when I moved to Atlanta, that's how I met people. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's really cool because there's not too much pressure, but mm-hmm. um, there also somewhat is when you're on tinder because because you don't know what people are looking for you don't know i mean you can because there's instances like i don't know if you go on the tinder subreddit at all Mm -mm. but there's so many there's a tinder oh my god of course there's a tinder subreddit it's amazing it is absolutely incredible (laughs) i check it every day because the funniest shit shows up on there all the time there's people Mm -hmm. that are doing puns with names (laughs) and then and then there's other people just sending really stupid messages and it's Oh, it is so funny. There is some serious gold that you can find in there. Okay, I'm putting that in the show notes. Okay. 
along with what was it the you know insane asylum so check the show notes for information about that stuff because we (laughs) want to see it it's really oh man i i look at it every day and it is just so funny (laughs) like uh i even it inspires me to like start trying to come up with puns (laughs) even if they're really bad puns it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. and so i i think i sent one recently Oh God! It really, oh. yeah, really bad. You were not hoping to get a response to that, but I did, and, so, <laughs> and when I did, I was like, "Wow, that actually worked." I didn't think I thinking about. It, I was like, I can't really think of anything that would be really clever, because I was just kind of like, it, "I've been matched with her for a while. I don't know um, what ex- exactly I should." Well, it's say personalized, and, so maybe that's all it is. It's like, okay, I, you actually yeah. wrote this message for me because you made a pun out of my name, like right? Like you, you. So many guys just like copy and paste it, you know? Yeah. Which I totally respect. You know, it's a numbers game, right? Like <laughs> when it comes down to it, it is because I think a lot of people are on there really for just self gratification and feeling good about themselves, and I, I, they love I to always just see say the it's a up. watering hole for the emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Everybody gets on there because they're like, I don't really anything serious but i'm bored or i'm lonely or like something like that and then they just want the ability to walk away and be like oh no other things are more important to me i say that but then there's a ton of exceptions i have a lot of friends who are getting married to people that they met on tinder so there's plenty of exceptions i ended up dating someone i met here for Mm -hmm. on and off about two years wow that's kind of a rare unicorn there Mm -hmm. it was tell us about that so about Two, three months after I got down yeah. here, I'm we matched. And I remember she lived really close. I said she was just like two, three miles away yeah. from me. And so it's funny because at, at one point I asked her if she wanted to hang out. And she was like, no, not really. And I was just like, we're only like a couple miles away. And and after I said it, I was like, oh, that sounded... That sounded like really douchey <laughs> and creepy <laughs> and re- and creepy. Yes. Um, and I didn't expect to hear from her, but then she asked if I wanted to get yeah. a burger with mm-hmm. her. And I was like, well, of course I love burgers, but I'm working right now, maybe later yeah. this week. And so we ended up meeting up and I didn't know exactly how well it went mm-hmm. the first time, but I, I enjoyed talking with her. And then she invited me that, following monday over okay and so you guys just ended up dating after that mm-hmm. it was well we were both looking for different things at first mm-hmm. she was kind of looking for something more casual and i was yeah. looking for something a little more serious and so it was really weird for the first couple of months and then but i was just like look i know what i want i i know what i'm trying to do here and if that if it's not matching up then it's just not going to work out and like a week later she was just like all right let's do it Oh, so you gave her an ultimatum and it panned out. Yeah. Interesting. Which I didn't think was going to happen. Yeah, no, most of the time they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you got to kind of walk in and expect the worst case scenario. Well, we got along really well. Mm. I think I think that's what the main thing was. We had a similar taste in music. We both had similar trains of thought on certain mm-hmm. issues. And yeah, so your like morality was really similar and like kind of mm-hmm. like the core pieces there. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So you guys, it sounds like you guys broke up a couple times and then got back together what was kind of the situation with that so we broke up around the same time last year and i went on tinder Mm -hmm. i was doing that for a couple months we got back that like right before or right after the new year okay so this year yeah yes so so we were together this year and then about two and a half months ago we ended things Mm mm-hmm but you have this incredible story that you actually wrote into us yes. about a Tinder date. Um, but this was, you said, right in the middle of the two kind of breakups, right? So you got yes. back on Tinder after you guys broke up. So admittedly, just because she was basically the person I spent the most time with. Mm-hmm. And so there was, when we broke up, I mean, even somewhat now, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm less like this compared to a year ago. Yeah. Um, but when we had broken up a year ago, it was just like, all of a sudden I went from having, from feeling so busy when I was off of work mm-hmm. because I was spending a lot of time with her 
to absolutely nothing. And it was such a dramatic transition. You can't help but go back to what you're used to, which is being on Tinder and swiping. I feel like the swiping is just... This fills really, the void. <laughs> it does. It's, it's really addicting because you can watch like The Office or Parks and Recreation and you're rewatching it and you're just like, oh, I don't, I've seen this before so I can just, I'm swiping. Yeah. Oh, that's really funny and keep swiping. Yeah. And um, there was a girl, mm-hmm. Katie. Not and her real name. <laughs> it's not her real name. Um, and immediately what I, I really liked her profile picture. And I could, and on top of being absolutely stunningly gorgeous, mm-hmm. she was also really easy to talk to. Yeah. I felt this, I don't know what it was, but just after the first couple of messages, it just, it became really easy mm-hmm. to keep going back and forth. And the messages kept getting longer and longer. And eventually I was like, well, hey, sometimes I don't like to check Tinder and you want to text me, which is a really stupid excuse, but <laughs> it ended up working. And yeah. so we started texting and and we we got to the point where we were writing like paragraphs yeah. in our text messages. I mean, like taking up the whole screen, if not more. Yeah. And and I was like, well, hey, like, like why don't we meet up for a drink or something after work one day? Yeah. And so I'm working and... I was working a little south of Atlanta, mm-hmm. and she was living with someone she knew um, just right in the downtown area, like pretty close to here. Do you know where, um, what's it called? It's like an arcade bar. Joystick. Joystick, yes. Love that place. So we went to this dive bar near Joystick, and um, that's where that's where she suggested to go. She said it's really cool and quiet during mm-hmm. the week, and... There's not much going on. That could be a cool place to go and meet up. So we decide to meet up. I'm on my way there. And I walk in and it's actually decently busy. Not anything, not like crowded or anything, but there's at least 30 people that are there. I was like, oh, wow, this is a lot busier than I expected. And um, I walked up and she was on the second floor. And when I saw her, it was just... An immediate connection. Like mm-hmm. once I sat down and started talking to her, we just we got each other. Yeah, I, it's so hard to explain because whether I was talking about music, movies, TV shows, yeah, video games, politics, s- <laughs> politics, certain social issues yeah. and gender roles, no matter what I brought up. We just, we understood each other yeah. completely on a whole nother level. And not even an hour in mm-hmm. to the date, which ended up at lasting like a, probably three or four hours mm-hmm. of just nonstop talking or whatever we were doing. Um, an hour in, we decided that we were going to go on a second date. Mm-hmm. And we just already knew. And, and, and we stopped at least two, three times just to say like, wow, like, is this really happening right now? Like, uh, do yeah. we really, are we really like this understanding of each other? Yeah. It was just, uh, it's so hard to put into words because it's just. When you feel it, you feel it. Yeah. yeah. You really get it. Yeah. Okay. And so what happened? I mean. Well, so to give it like a recap of the date, we were hanging out at this bar. Yeah. Had a few drinks and. Decided to go to a pizza place across the street, and we went over there and talked for, like, a good hour over there. We'd been at the bar for two hours, and we went to my car, Mm -hmm. and we started listening to this Icelandic band, Siguros. Yeah. Do you know them? Yeah. They're incredible. And (laughs) and So you're talking about bands that you have in common. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, because, I mean, we liked it. We, we both like brand new Manchester Orchestra. Ah, Say anything. Yeah. Yeah, we were sitting in my car listening to Siguros, and... I remember specifically this phrase she said. She was just sitting there in the passenger seat of my car and said, I have not felt this relaxed in years. Mm-hmm. And I just reached over and I grabbed her hand. We held hands just listening. It was, really, it was a really sweet moment. And um, obviously it was getting to be like 11 o'clock at night. We both had work in the morning. So mm-hmm. I drove her to her car and right before she got out, we kissed and... It was amazing. It was just an amazing kiss. Even though it was only like five, ten seconds, it, it felt like it lasted longer. And 
And then we said we would meet up the following Monday. And I went home feeling like the king of the world. I was Leo on the front of the Titanic. <laughs> That's how I felt. I felt that incredible. Yeah. It, it was a really amazing feeling. And so I texted her and I was like, thank you. I had a really great time tonight. I'm, re- I'm excited to hang out again on Monday. And, mm-hmm. and she f- texted back saying she felt the same way and that kind of thing. And so the next morning... Uh, I was texting, I started texting her and she responded, but then after that, there was just nothing. Oh, weird. Complete radio silence. And I figured, oh, she's probably busy at work. So yeah. It's no big deal. And so I texted her later. I was like, hey, how's your day going? And that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Didn't hear a thing. And I didn't want to be that needy, clingy person who's yeah. like, why the fuck isn't she texting me? Like, why she, we were talking so much and now it's just nothing. You know, I didn't, I felt like maybe it was a shit test. Just, you know, like, yeah, because that happens. Some people do that. It's like you start talking a bunch and then you just not talk to them. And it's just like, I wonder how he's going to react to this. Yeah. Because I have three older sisters. I know how it fucking works. <laughs> Okay, I've never done that, but I know people do. There's, so. I've, I've had it plenty of times yeah. happen to me. And eventually, it's most of the time, eventually you start, you hear back from them. Like, oh, I'm just really busy. I was like, oh, that's cool. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Nothing from her. Didn't hear from her at all. Not until that Monday when we were supposed to meet up at Star Bar for like stand up night. Mm-hmm. And so I texted her. I was like, hey, are we still on for tonight? She sends this whole big, long explanation like, Oh, I'm really sorry. I ended up meeting with someone that I've known for a while and we've decided we're going to try and work things out. I know that's really kind of shitty and that kind of thing. And and I was just like, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Thanks for letting me know. And it, but because I didn't want to like, oh, God, be that, she didn't ghost you like that would have been so Oh, awful. that would have been but that would have made me feel so much worse if she just didn't respond. But like it still hit me pretty hard. Yeah, because I'm with social media, it's pretty good to figure out exact or it's easy to figure out exactly what's going on. Like So you did some some stalking. I, admittedly. <laughs> let's we can I think we can all admit at this point in our lives with social media that we've stalked just about okay, there there is one thing I left out. During the date, she told me that I was the only person she'd ever met on Tinder that she ended up uh going on a date with. Oh, and she had told me on the date that the only time she'd gotten on Tinder was when she had broken up with her boyfriend. Mm. And they both went to SCAD together in Savannah. So I did a little research and found out that she had just gotten back together with their ex. And that's all that happened. Which, you know what? I can't blame her. Mm-hmm. I ended up doing the exact same fucking thing two months later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two months later, the exact same thing happened. But... I just, that connection was so fucking strong, and I've never felt that connection just immediately on a first date before, ever. Like, there's no other first date I can think of that's even comparable. I went on plenty of dates after that, Mm -hmm. and just, there was no spark that felt like that. And even, even the person I dated for two years, I didn't, admittedly, I did not feel that spark on our first date together. Mm -hmm. So it's... I feel like with Tinder, it's just you want to connect with people so badly and people feel so withdrawn Mm. because it's an Internet dating thing. And I've what I've known most of my life is Internet dating. Yeah. When I was 16, I lost my virginity to someone I met through the Internet. Through a very, very old dating website called Eastspin the Bottle. I don't know if you... Eastspin the Bottle? Eastspin the Bottle. Oh my god, I've never even heard of that. It's very old. It was... It's kind of funny how it worked out, because you just, like, click this thing and it would spin. And then it would just show you a profile. <laughs> <laughs> and... But yeah, that... So I've, I've just... Uh, for most of my life, I've known internet dating. I mean, granted, yeah. it was just that one person when I was, like, in high school. Then after that, it was someone who I met through camp that I dated. And... But at least 50%, if not more, of the people I've dated, especially because of Tinder dates, I mean, mm-hmm. I've easily gone on 30, maybe 50, um, easily more than half have been through the internet. It's just what I'm used to. And so I, I feel more comfortable with it. And I know that a lot of people don't just because I feel like a lot yeah. of people just meet 
meet yeah. others in real life and like it is just works out but no i you know i don't know i feel like i'm a i'm a weirdo too and i like don't meet people on a regular basis because i work yeah. and i come home and that's it and you don't really have you know i knew a lot of people that dated through work and to me that just seemed really strange like i i don't think i could ever truly date somebody that i like work with and that's what i'm going through right now really yeah uh-oh i'm dealing with yeah it's <laughs> Retro. <laughs> <laughs> it's um yeah it's just complicated <laughs> so have you been on tinder like recently have you like yes i have found actually that so a year ago when i was on tinder mm -hmm. i would easily get five to ten matches a day mm -hmm. i think i got it about two three weeks ago and at first, with my Tinder profiles, I like to switch them up pretty often. <laughs> so like a year ago, I had a joke profile. And oh, speaking of, I forgot about this, but we love to talk about what your Tinder profile looks like. Okay. So we're going to pull it up because I found yours. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. So you've seen my dog who is just my whole Adorable. life. He's the best. His name's Enzo. So currently... Your profile says, witty expression goes here, colon, blank. Yes. And then 6-4. That's all. Yeah. Well, I feel, because what I've, I've actually seen this on the Tinder subreddit is um, some women do have a height expectation. Mm. And I've seen this on the Tinder subreddit. And so what they'll post, they'll post conversations where women are like, so do you mind if I ask how tall you are? And they'll say like 5-4 and they're just like, oh, no, thanks. Oh, geez. Oh, they, they're that brutal. That's it's intense. it's that brutal and so i i just i mean i just put it up there as like whatever i mean yeah i think people are just generally attracted to tall guys but even so i've had my tinder for two to three weeks mm -hmm. and let me see how many matches i have 11 and one of them is red lobster <laughs> <laughs> one of them is red lobster <laughs> and if you look at most of my messages they're all messages i've sent like the most recent ones um, I've found there's been a lot less activity, Yeah. at least for me personally on Tinder here in this area. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's changed. Uh, maybe there's just less people that are taking it well, more seriously. Well, there's like so many competitors right now. So you've like there happened. I've, I haven't tried that yet. And I actually listened to your podcast where you talk about happen <laughs> and it just, and it just introduces you people that are close to you and you're yeah. kind of like. So I actually ran into that guy. I, I talked about it in the previous episode. Yeah. Ran into him because we live so close to one another. And I was like, fuck, this is what sucks about happen. Like, you yeah. can't avoid them. <laughs> I th I think if I was going to use it, I would and probably use it while I'm out. Bumble is awful. I Well, at least in my experience, because I had Bumble for like a week. Yeah. And I probably got about five or six matches. I mean, all but of them all died the within like five minutes. Like I couldn't even hold a conversation with the people I met there. Well, I wouldn't even get a message in the first place. Mm. And so it's like you get that daily extend where you can extend it for 24 hours. I was like, well, you're, on, you're my only fucking match. So I might as well extend it and see what happens. <laughs> and then nothing. Yeah. That so stinks. It, well, what about for, Coffee Meets Bagel? I haven't tried that. Okay. So what I'm on or what I was on was Tinder, Chive, and Bumble. Chive? Bumble I got rid of. Chive is interesting. Okay, so Chive like the website. Yes, and they have a mobile app. That one I somewhat like because if you like someone, you know that it's let them know that you've liked them. And if someone likes you, you get to see who's liked you, even if they're not super nearby, yeah. based on what your search radius is. So you can like stalk people and like... <laughs> Kind of. And, well, and you can upload like 40 fucking photos. So it's like you can just scroll through and see a ton of photos of these people. They have this one feature called 20 questions. And it just has you answer 20 questions. And so you can look at their answers. And yeah. it literally compares them side to side. Well, doesn't OkCupid do the same kind of thing, though? But that's just I've, like too many fucking people. There's too many. Well, yeah. with OkCupid. What, all right. This is what I like about Tinder. You get to know the people that are mutually interested with you. Whereas like Plenty of Fish, OK Cupid, that kind of thing. You have to message that person and knowing how many fucking messages women get on a daily basis with those websites where... Which you probably also learned yes, I'll, from our... <laughs> well, I've, I've heard it before and then just hearing it repeatedly on your podcast yeah. about 
oh yeah, I get like 500 messages a day. No wonder I don't get any responses yeah. from them on there. You've got so many people that are messaging you that you just, you don't even know what to do with yourself. It's, no, it's, it's because another full-time job. It is. Yeah. It's, it, it really is. I will say Tinder has kind of slowed down well, par- partially because the podcast is a podcast. It's not a person, you know? Right. So when we have it on there, we have like two pictures of two different girls. It's like, we're the co-hosts, but you know. Um, it's, it's basically a podcast, so we don't get as many matches Mm -hmm. and it's not as overwhelming, but like before, like I can't, I couldn't deal with it anymore. See, and, and I think that's probably why it's slowed down is just because men are such monsters. They'll just, they'll swipe for anything. (laughs) Well, I think part of it is there's just a discrepancy there. There's a different way to like, I think this is almost like a symptom of like that of society that Tinder has already exposed. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a disconnect with like how men and women communicate. Yeah. Right. And like how they approach a certain particular problem. Right. And like with guys, they're just like, oh, swipe right, obviously, until I find something. It's not like necessarily then they weed them out and then women are going to weed you out before. And they're only going to match with people that they want to match with. Right. Well, there's actually there's been studies done on this where they talk about like I read this one study where they had both a man and a woman go on campus and Mm -hmm. approach the opposite sex and say, I want to have sex with you. That's the, that's the first thing they say to that person. Okay. With men, 75% of them were like, yeah, why the fuck not? With women, none of them said yes. Not yeah. one. And it's just because they look for, it's because we look for different things. I mean, like, I know there's this, there's been this thing like men, men and women are equal. It's like, I agree they should be treated equally, but there is, there's definitely some differences that we have to acknowledge and yeah. we have to be like, yeah, these, these, this is what different is what is different about us, mm-hmm. and this is what's not. This is where we like, okay, in the workplace, we need to be treated equally, a hundred percent. But when we're looking for partners, it's completely different. For men, there's there's a trait of attractiveness mm-hmm. that applies into it as well as personality. Because for me, it's like, yeah, you can be attractive, and it's like, yeah, I'm attracted to you physically, but. It, if you can't hold a conversation with me. I think that's everybody. Yeah. Like, I mean, women aren't going to date, definitely not going to date somebody. Like I would not be able to, to tolerate somebody more than like one day that is a tra- very attractive, but like a huge dickhead. Like mm-hmm. if I can't talk to you or if you make me feel bad, like I'm not going to spend time with you. But there's definitely a big majority of guys who care more about attractiveness than, um, yeah. than the personality. And I think that I think that's where that comes issue, from. Like comes too, from. I, I do think some of that's a manifestation of societal pressure and things like that too. Oh, so a like huge pressure. So I think this is a really interesting subject mm-hmm. that I'm interested to dig more into. So if any of you listening know more about this and kind of please come dynamic, on because I want to listen on. to it. We want to hear an educational episode about the social dynamics of Tinder. We want to hear more about this. Like this is a, a huge place where we like meet a lot of people mm-hmm. who come onto the show. I think it'd be really cool to have somebody on here who can actually talk in more depth about really what that means. Yes, that would so, be awesome. And kind of translate all of this to us. Like, <laughs> how our behavior, please, a sociologist, anybody. <laughs> that would be really fun. Well, I feel like guys are definitely more likely to just swipe right to everything than women. Because if you just keep swiping right, it's just you're going to get constant matches. Yeah. Yeah, it would be awful. But it's because... But who? what came first, the chicken or the egg? That's what I'm trying to figure yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so at what point did guys decide to swipe right on everything? Because I don't think guys are actually like that in real life. Like, I know a lot of men who are very, very, very discerning, you know? Well, you know, it's funny because when I was, when I first got it and I was hanging mm-hmm. out with friends, there was, this was before they had Tinder Plus mm-hmm. and they had, they didn't limit how many times you could swipe right mm-hmm. in, a, in a certain period of like 24 hours, I think, mm-hmm. or 12 hours. I can't remember what it is. Um, but I remember when I first got it, I, what, when I was hanging out with my guy friends, I was like, oh yeah, this is funny. Let's just keep swiping white and see what happens. Yeah. But now I'm more like, I probably only swipe right on like 25% of the people that I see. I think that's probably. I think that's more accurate. Yeah. To to what happens. What women actually do as well. Mm Mm-hmm. In the beginning, when I first started it, I would swipe right on a lot more people than I do than I would like if I was back on it now, which I'm like not on it personally. But like, I would be like really picky, like because like I I would be like, well maybe they're really nice, or like I would try like not to judge right. too harshly. 
Um, and then I realized, like, no, everybody's pretty much as predictable as you think they are. Like, yeah. you well, know, if their profile looks really lame, they tend to be kind of lame. Like, it's they're sweet, but mm-hmm. like they're just not what I'm looking for, you know? And I feel like you you really do have to be picky. Mm-hmm. You do, like, because this is if, I mean, if you're going at it at a completely mm-hmm. 100% serious level and you're just, and you're looking for the person you want to spend the time with for the rest of yeah. your life, why not be really picky? Yeah, for real. Why not only swipe for five percent of the people you you see on there? Mm-hmm. Like I said, if you're making sure you want to be with someone that you're going to spend literally decades with, you do really need to be really picky about it. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. The one thing we didn't talk about here is I think the overarching sentiment is very parallels really closely, and this is what we actually yeah. talked about before you got on the air. Was that you feel like right now where you're at is very like similar to garden state right oh yes <laughs> i feel like you talk in yes. movies like this is how well <laughs> movies have been my life yeah. i mean from i mean when i uh when my parents divorced and i spent time with my dad what we did every weekend with my brother is we would go to um so we have a lot of coney island type mm-hmm. places in, yeah. in michigan and so we went to this place called greek islands and we would go to the movie theater right next to there every single weekend we were mm-hmm. always watching movies and I remember because of my sister, my youngest sister, I saw the movie Garden State mm-hmm. and I fell in love with it. And to this day, I can watch it and just still completely understand where that character is coming from. Even more now, I think, being at the age of 26 than at any time in my life. I moved down here to work in the film industry and I'm working for a company that processes background checks and <laughs> and I'm getting ready to go back to school in the spring for studying accounting and I'm yeah. I'm at this weird point in my life where I'm not completely 100% sure of who I am as a person and mm. who you want to be. Yeah, and who I want to be. And it, it's because I want to be the person who's super interesting interesting i work in the film industry and that and that kind of thing but but there's pros and cons to both sides so with the film industry if i was to go completely 100 percent into that i'm working 14 hours a day five days a week i'm spending my weekends just sleeping and getting errands done and paying bills or whatever i need to do and that's it and i have no time to really socialize or do anything except with the people i'm working on set with but now that I'm working this eight to five office job, Monday through Friday, sometimes I do overtime on the weekends, mm-hmm. but it's not that interesting. And yeah. I just, I go home and it's like, all right, well, I'm hanging out with my dog and I'm watching Netflix or a movie or whatever I'm doing. And it's like not really doing so much that it's like, I feel myself. Yeah. And so I'm in this weird point where it's like, well, what can I do with myself or like, where, what can I go out and find that's going to really make me feel whole? Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like I'm I'm at this point where I have to find an in-between of the two. Yeah. Somewhere it meets in the middle. Like, where yeah. you have the thing that brings you the your primary source of income, and then you have your, you know, your calm time, your me time, and then you have to have something in between that gives you that that sustenance so which i feel like you found with this oh, yeah. and which which is uh, which it's is, a lot of work though <laughs> but how how good do you feel doing it though like being able to meet all these like even myself like being able to meet all of these different people that are very interesting come from different paths of life and yeah have these different stories and different backgrounds no i totally it's an, an incredibly inspiring you know, it's you realize that in order to get these stories out to the world, you do have to make a lot of personal sacrifices. Mm-hmm. I don't have downtime ever anymore. Um, but that's that's OK, because this isn't necessarily about me. Like, I kind of love that I'm serving as a platform, as um, a way to, like, really uplift other people's stories and, like, put them out there. You know, I think yeah. that's the thing that drives me. It's not so it's not about me. You know, I, I love being a host because I get to talk to you guys and I get to mm-hmm. be here live and really experience it. Um, and I love, you know, editing and being the producer because that means I get to polish it and make it the best version possible to put out into the world to give you guys a story, a whole new life. Right. Yeah. But it's a lot of work and it, and it feels very much like a job a lot of times, you know. So what you don't realize when you walk into these situations is that 95 percent of the time it's going to feel like a job and you have to latch onto those five percent where it's 
like these moments where we're sitting in it and we're present and we're just having this conversation and that's the thing that gives me the life, right? Or when I'm sitting in my car and my podcast thing shuffles and it brings up my own show. Right. And I'm like, oh, I really enjoy this. Even though I've been through this like several times and I've edited it and I've heard it like 16 times, you know, I'm still listening to it again and, and I'm hearing things that I didn't even hear necessarily in the first conversation, you know? So that can be the kind of thing that like gives me that when I smile, when I'm listening to it, that's, that's why I do it, you know? And and that's what I miss about the film industry. Yeah. I remember I made a thesis film for film school and after it screened, my brother came up to me and he told me that my thesis film made him cry at the end because yeah. he related to it so much. And I, th- I think that's, what's just most important is that what you do impacts people mm-hmm. in a way that they, they can relate to it. And even just one, if just one person tells you, I completely like understood yeah. what you were trying to say. Yeah. That to me is the most fulfilling mm-hmm. feeling that you can have. Absolutely. Even if just one person just comes up and is like, you made a difference. I, and I get that every now and then about once a week, I'll get a message from somebody that says, oh, your, your podcast is awesome. I really enjoyed X, Y, and Z story or guest um oh, yeah it's my th- now my go-to you know like that that gives me life <laughs> yeah i listened to three in one day and i was just like holy crap like i this is really awesome and Aww. i'm so excited to listen to more and honored to be on here <laughs> i know but that's good mm-hmm. no i mean you should be a fan before you come onto the show you need to know like what you're walking into so yeah. well that's why i was glad i listened to three of them before coming on here it's just like okay now i've got a really good idea of what <laughs> what this is and, and what the goal and where is we're gonna go yeah very cool well on that note i think we can go ahead and wrap up all right i'm your host veeps i'm mac lovin and you don't know me Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed McLovin's episode. Now we do have some extra material today in the show notes, so be sure to head over to ydkmpodcast.com to check those out. These include some of the films that he mentioned that he has made himself, including The Mako Project, which is a short film that McLovin and his friends collaborated on when they were traveling through the West Coast. If you loved what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we are at YDKM Podcast on all social media, and our website, once again, is ydkmpodcast.com. As usual, the music in this episode is courtesy of bensound.com. That's B-E-N-S-O-U-N-D.com.